What exactly is a kingdom? The teacher's commentary states that a kingdom is a realm in which uh, the will and power of a king is expressed. So uh, the will and the power of the king is expressed in this land. That is a kingdom. But in our context today, I want you to know that a kingdom, uh, it is the sphere, that area where uh, God's rule is acknowledged. Okay? Uh, so, so, so God's rule is acknowledged. So that means that uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you say that you love him and you want to follow him, that means that you are somehow ushering in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is somehow real in your life. But this does not mean that he only rules uh, where individuals allow him to rule, but it means that his clear rule is seen in the lives of his followers, those folks who submit to him. In other words, eventually, one day, his clear rule will be clearly seen and recognized by everyone everywhere. So in God's kingdom are people who obey and follow him in various aspects of their lives. Not because he demands it, not because he sits on his heavenly throne uh, banging his, his massive fist saying, you better do this and you better do that. No, 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 no. People who are part of God's kingdom realm, uh, they submit to him because they love him. We submit to God as being a part of God's kingdom all because we love him. Yeah, we know that, uh, that us loving him uh, ultimately didn't have anything to do with us loving him, but he first loved us. You see, if God did not first love us, we would have no grounds, no foundation in order to love him. Because we would not have the revelation, the understanding that God has done anything in our life to begin with. But for those who understand that God has made a significant impact in our life in Jesus Christ, we know that we submit to him. And we do what we do all because of love. But also as kingdom people, we are also expected to live in ways that reflect God's goodness. Amen? God's goodness uh, not only in, in our spiritual lives, but also in our morality as well. There are certain things uh, a kingdom son, uh, there are certain things a kingdom daughter uh, does and don't do because of who we represent. Amen? It's one thing I used to hate more than anything else when I was growing up as a kid, when I would do something wrong, they would ask that proverbial question to me is, aren't you Minnie's son? I said, now why do you have to go and do that? I was doing good. So in other words, uh, uh, aren't you Julius' son? Uh, they were asking me that if you are truly the son of Julius, if you are truly the son of Minion, why are you acting a fool? 
because I know that your parents would be very, very, there it is, right, very, very upset with you for acting like you have lost your last mind. My mother used to say that all the time. So we are supposed to represent the king who has saved us. We represent the king in the way uh, that we uh, treat those right who hate us. How do we treat those who hate us? We love us. We love them. Matthew 5 and 44. We represent the king in the way uh, that we treat those who have a need by giving to them. Amen. Matthew 6 and 2. But kingdom men and kingdom women are people who also in touch with the Lord. So if you say that Jesus... You are my king, then you are also an individual who is supposed to be in contact with your king. We are people of prayer. It is important for us as kingdom people to pray to the Lord. Kingdom people are people of prayer who connect with the Lord uh, through this line of communication. However, prayer may be one of those most neglected ministries in our lives. Why? Why? Why is prayer so neglected in our life? Well, number one, do we really neglect it or have we relegated to the land of the unimportant? Well, in other words, uh, I don't need to pray because uh, it really doesn't make a difference. Our struggle with prayer doesn't show up in what we say about it, but in the way that we respond to it or interact with it. So uh, as I walk through this message, uh, I need for you to ask yourself this question. What is my attitude towards prayer? On a regular basis, we either don't do it or we rush through it without much thought or without much heart. Well, I've done everything I needed to do. Now I'm in a hurry, so I will uh, pray uh, for two minutes in the car. Yet one of the reasons our prayer life may also be so anemic may also be because of past answers to prayer. Or that sheer silence we experience when we march into heaven's gate, uh, boldly uh, going to his throne of grace uh, with our requests only to be disappointed or feel like God has ignored you. Go ahead, tell the truth. Sometimes we pray, we pray, and we pray, and our confidence in prayer or our confidence in God is completely shattered. Because truth be told, we really believe that God doesn't hear us. So as people who have prayed, some of you, or people who need to pray, some of you, uh, people uh, who need to pray with stronger confidence, we need to turn to Jesus for help. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Many of you are familiar with this. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, 
and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, he says, it will be opened. When we pray, we should expect God to answer. Part of our prayer life is living in expectation. But uh, come on now, but, but what are the tensions we experience? Come on. When we hear these words of Jesus saying, ask, saying, seek, saying, knock, oh, what are the tensions we experience? Well, we, we read a passage like that, and it seems like an open and a shut case. Ask, and you shall receive, right? Jesus says very plainly, I look in the word of God. I'm looking at all the red, and Jesus tell us, ask and it will be given to you. So that means that Jesus, if I ask you, you're supposed to give it to me. He seems to indicate that we can ask whatever that we want, and it will be given to us. But in fact, Mark seems to affirm this thinking when he quotes Jesus. Look at this, Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So there's Jesus again, basically telling us that we can ask whatever we want, even to the extent of telling a mountain to be, to be cast into the sea, and it's going to happen. But my brothers and sisters, this has led many people to the understanding that if I believe Jesus can answer my prayers and I do not doubt, then he is obligated to grant my request. This is oftentimes what we hear in some teachings when they say, well, your problem is that you need to make a demand on God. Have you heard that before? Your problem is that you have not learned how to make a demand on God. And this is why your prayers are not being answered. Some of them may not say it in as strong of a words as I stated, but that is definitely what they're thinking, definitely what they are, are, are saying in their hearts. They therefore come to the conclusion that if we say the words of Jesus are true, the words of Jesus are divine, and he instructs us in them, then we can expect an answer according to our desires. <laughs> but sadly enough, as with uh, other messages in this series, some people have left the faith because of a lack of understanding of exactly what the scripture is trying to get across. It has been my personal experience in talking with people in the past that when you try to explain to them the fullness of the Word of God and they believe uh, this idea uh, that uh, they say that, oh, no, I need to turn because you just don't have enough faith. Listen to the stories of, uh, of this, this person's life. Listen to this. And I quote. 
I can totally understand why Christians lose their faith. When your life is total garbage, when you are losing everything, when God has been saying no to every prayer you have prayed, big and small, for years and years on end, when all you see is things actually getting worse when you pray, all those canned Christian explanations of God has a plan or you must not be praying right. And the one that really gets me mad, just look at what happened to Job. I'm sick of hearing about Job, they say. I'm not Job. I'm 56 years old and I see no hope, no chance. I've been waiting on God. Well, guess what? I waited and now it's too late. End quote. So in other words, what this individual is basically saying is that I have now turned my back on God because some folks have told me that I need to ask, that I need to seek, that I need to knock, and I have done it over and over again. And since God did not answer me, I'm done with God. I am closing the God chapter of my life. I'm closing it shut and I'm putting a padlock on God. Later on, this person goes on to ask a question. I can't wait to see other people to walk in this freedom. <laughs> it's very interesting what, what some people believe to be freedom is really bondage. It is clear as we hear the pain and disappointment from a person who seemed to have really suffered for years. It's, it's difficult to hear that. But unfortunately, some of you may know this to be true. This is not an isolated case. There are many people you and I have come into contact with whom have been led down this road by their circumstances. But one very important note. It also seems that uh, some uh, well-meaning Christians, believers, that they provided a few answers that were not biblical. You see that? So when you provide answers that are unbiblical, that end up uh, influencing people and they lose the faith, that they are losing their faith all because that you yourself don't even get the understanding of the Word of God. So, our correct understanding of prayer helps us and others. So then we look at what Jesus has to say and recognize that Jesus tells us plainly that if we ask, we shall receive without any other qualifications. So he doesn't tell us here, ask and you will receive, but only if you go jump through 50 hoops first. There are simply a few things in Scripture which requires a slight effort on our part in order to extract the riches of God's Word. Let's walk through this. Number one, prayer is persistent and active. Prayer is persistent and active active. Verse 7 tells us to ask. Jesus tells us to seek. He tells us to knock on his door. The original language expands our thinking on this matter when it explains that we must be consistent and repetitive in our prayers. Uh, of course, we can't see it here. 
Another translation, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, keep asking. It says, keep seeking. And keep knocking. This is something that we all do and we continue to do uh, how long until the day we die. This is where some people experience difficulty because they may tire quickly of prayer or have prayed faithfully for years in order to receive an answer only to be rebuffed by what seems to be a lack of response. What do you do? Come on. What do you do when you've asked God for that one job and he has not yet answered you? What do you do? What do you do if you've been knocking on God's door to give you a wife and you don't have it yet? What do you do when you are suffering with some kind of pain or ailment in your body and you've been asking over and over and over and over again, days on end, but yet you're still suffering? What do you do? In our active and persistent pursuit of God for an answer to prayer, we must also ask ourselves this question, and here it is. How have I been growing in the Lord as I wait on him to answer? How have I uh, been growing in the Lord as I wait for him to answer my prayer? You see, a part of the difficulty with us, uh, our misunderstanding is uh, we say that, well, I'm going to ask God to answer my prayer, and then that's it. I ain't going to do nothing else. I don't have to grow. Uh, I don't have to operate in my giftings. That I'm just going to be my old blob self, and I'm just going to sit there. You see, any time that you're trying to move in some type of, type of progression in your life, uh, that you just don't stop while you wait on that answer, do you? You continue to work, and you continue to work hard. So God tells us that we must grow in our faith as we await an answer. Clearly, God wants to answer our prayer according to his timing. But yet, we also must understand that our relationship with the Lord is extremely important. While we wait on the Lord, we must also welcome his workings in and through us. Our spiritual life should continue to grow in such a way that it reflects his righteousness and holiness. Again, it is not just asking the Lord, then living your life the way you have always lived it. We must grow in righteousness and holiness as he dictates uh, his word, even though uh, it is not a prerequisite for prayer. You see, when we're asking God, uh, it is about relationship. So while we ask, while we seek, and while we knock persistently, uh, we should grow in spiritual maturity. Listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the era of, era of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus tells us plainly we should expect an answer when we call upon him, verse 8, for everyone who asks receives, uh, for the one who seeks find, uh, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Uh, now mind you, this is not just some kind of knock on God's door, and that's it, that when we knock on God's door, I don't know about you, I expect for God to come to the door and then answer my request. 
I don't know about you. I don't know where you are in your prayer request. Maybe when you pray uh, to God and you just say, I just want to knock on this door and then run away. But for me, I want to knock on this door, right? I want to be like some of those other people who come knocking on your door week after week, knocking, hoping that you're home, hoping that you're going to answer. I want to be like that. I want to persistently pursue God until he answers me. Verse 8 is an encouragement to continue with this faithful prayer because we can expect him to answer. So part of this journey of prayer focuses on our deep desire to pursue our Lord Jesus. If we are constantly asking Jesus to answer our prayer, then we are in the habit of going after him because we know uh, there is no other that can do what he can do. Bottom line, here it is. Here it is. This is profound, right? God wants us to want him. There it is. God wants us to want him. There is no other way around this. He does not force the matter, but uh, this is truly his desire. He wants us to want him. You see, uh, what will happen if, if we get our answered prayer? And then as soon as we get our answer prayer, the next thing that we're going to do is go back and do the stuff that we've always done. In our quest for spiritual maturity, we must soon discover that not only uh, must we grow in holiness, but we must grow in our desire for our Lord. So ask yourself this question. Do I desire the answer to my prayer more than I desire the one who answers the prayer? Do I desire the answer to my prayer more than the one who answers my prayer? After reading various comments from people about prayer, it became apparent that some wanted an answer to prayer and they really didn't want God. Some people, this is the truth, uh, that they come to church because they want an answer to a specific prayer, and then once they get that prayer, then they're gone. You'll never see them again. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Or some expecting to go to church to be entertained. You see, they never plan or really enter into the relationship. It's always about, God, what have you done for me lately? What about you? Have you been praying earnestly for God to answer your prayer and he has not? But look at this. Uh, look how Jesus replied to people who seem excited about his presence, right? They were excited to go to church. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Hallelujah. Well, what happened to Jesus? Let's go find him over here. Look at this. John chapter 6, verse 26. John 6, 26. These people, uh, they were in the presence of Jesus, and then all of a sudden he wasn't there and then uh, someone uh, found him uh, on the other side of the sea. And they said, oh, there's Jesus. Oh, we wonder what happened to our Jesus. And listen to Jesus respond, John 6, 26. Jesus answered them. Uh, one of the things I want to tell you, anytime you read in the scripture when it says that Jesus answered, it does not always mean that he's answering a question. Uh, probably uh, sometimes uh, a better way of looking at that is when we say Jesus responded to them. All right? It's not always he's answering a question. So just understand that he's more or less responded to them. So Jesus responded to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill 
of the loaves. So they were looking for Jesus everywhere, but their motives for looking for Jesus was only to get the bread. Imagine that, right? Standing before you, you have God in the flesh. God who came from heaven to earth to show the way, right? God who loved us, who would eventually sacrifice his life for us. God, standing right before you. And all you can think of is, uh, Jesus, you got some more of that bread? Jesus, you got another one of those uh, Subway uh, sandwiches that you gave us on the other side? That the God of the universe shows up and you can only think about a tuna Subway sandwich. One of the ways to be delivered from a spirit which interferes with your relationship with the Lord is to confess when you have been pursuing the wrong thing. Really, what have you been pursuing? You have to ask yourself that question. Are you looking for the answer more than you're looking for the God? Answer that question and believe me, God is going to set you free. Nevertheless, uh, Jesus tells us we should have an expectant attitude about prayer. God answers prayer. Amen? But understand that God may not answer our prayer as we expect because we do not uh, share his perspective on what constitutes a good gift. You hear what I'm saying? So a lot of times that we are praying, God, I need this. Right? Uh, you, you remember your prayers, you know, Lord, I just need you go. You, you're looking for a car in this example, right? I ain't talking about nobody, right? I'm talking about myself. So if you think I'm talking about you, I'm not talking about you. Amen? Amen. So you go in and you're looking for a car. And you're like, oh, there's a the car I want, right? And you've heard this. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to claim it, right? And I'm going to lay my hand on that car. And I'm going to say, in Jesus' name... This is my car. And then you go sit down with the finance officer. He says, no, that ain't. Uh, I got something else if I have anything for you here. Or I've heard the testimony of those people who said that uh, in, in, in times past uh, that I've been praying and praying for a big old house and God finally gave me this big old house. And then two, three years later, I can't afford this house. So I'm just going to walk away. But all along, everybody is saying, oh, God gave me this house. Yeah, I know he did. We walked around that house seven times and everything, it, it showed up. You, you see, part of our difficulty is that we do not share God's perspective on how he wants to bless us. Why? His ways are not our ways. I don't care how saved you are. God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. Because his thoughts are higher than ours. You see, at the end of the day, we are not God. Only God is God. So that means he understands if you're praying to him and he says that and, and you, you pray to God, God, uh, there's a mountain over here. I need for you to toss this mountain in the sea. God looks at that prayer and the Holy Spirit who makes intercession and says, no, that's not what they're praying. 
Lord, what they're praying is that they have an issue with power. So, this is the prayer of the Holy Spirit that you just need to take everything from them. Until they are humbled to a point when they can finally come to prayer in the right manner. Well, uh, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. As a matter of fact, some preachers, and I quote, I won't tell you who it is, and I quote, uh, they say to even, uh, even to think about praying uh, in that fashion is a heresy. This is, this is the fashion, praying according to the will of God, right? Some people say that when you pray according to the will of God, that that is heretical. But wait a minute. Jesus says, but when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Go ahead, say the rest. So, well, wait a minute. So if Jesus says that when you pray, you always pray according to the will of God, then how when you pray, when you actually say that, can that be anti-God? Look at this, right? Back, back here in, in Matthew 7. This uh, pericope, this, this section here, is part of a larger section which is called the Sermon where? on the Mount. Let's try it again. This is part of a larger section called what? The Sermon on the Mount. That means that Jesus, that he stood there and, uh, and he preached to them this message. And, and, and part of his message dealt with asking, seeking, and knocking. So when Jesus, when he gave them, when he delivered this section, he did not deliver it with, in a vacuum. That he delivered this within the context, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Which means that they had already heard Jesus tell them that in the manner that you pray, this is the way that you pray. You pray according to the will of the Father. So when he comes here to chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, he says that when you ask, he says that when you seek, he says that when you knock, that you must pray according to the will of God. Why? Because, number one, we don't know God's exact mind. But what happens when we don't get what we want? Fear of not getting what we want impedes our desire to prayer. Simple as that. When we don't get what we want, we don't pray. Matthew 7, verse 9. Or which of you, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. So since some people don't get what they want, they refuse to pray. pray. In some sense, we can all identify to a degree the struggles uh, some have with prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but all the prayers that I have uh, been asking of the Lord, they have not yet been answered. We have already mentioned that some people have prayed repeatedly, but God did not answer them according to their request. But we know that God does answer, and he answers according to his sovereign plan and refuses to be manipulated uh, into answering according to the will of people. 
Certain people struggle with prayer because they feel they may be tricked or receive something they don't want. This is what Jesus is saying here in verse 9. In other words, he was implying that there's some people who pray that think God is going to play some type of cosmic trick on them. Old Testament, uh, during that time, even from matter, even today, if you get a, a loaf of one of those bread, uh, a loaf of bread from uh, from one of your stores, not the kind that's been cut by Wonder Bread or some other or by Butternut or something like that, just one of those nice loaves of bread, and you put it afar off among other rocks, that bread will look just like a rock. I don't think this was the point of the passage, but this is my understanding that sometimes, or even when God answers, it looks like that the answer that he gives us, it looks like it's not going to work from a distance. That what God, when he, uh, when he answers our prayer, it looks as if it's the wrong thing. And not until we come a little bit closer does our vision begin to clear up and we see that God answered my wife and I, when we, uh, uh, I remember when we were, she remembers as well, when we were in process of purchasing our very first piece of property, that uh, we looked at this property, it was, it was a condominium, and uh, we had said that, uh, oh man, our plan was to buy this condominium and we were going to pay it off in about two years. That's how confident we were. We're going to pay this thing off in two years. And I remember praying for that thing. I was so excited. And so we go through the process. You know, as a matter of fact, the cost of this place was, at that time, probably uh, one year's salary for me alone. But I said, we'll just stretch it out and do whatever. And we were denied the mortgage. We were denied a 30-year mortgage on something that I could have paid off in one year. I didn't understand. It didn't make any sense to me. You know, I had prayed about that as best as I could at that time, but it made no sense in the world. Long story short, we won't get into all the particulars of what happened. Uh, excellent credit rating, so if you think, well, your credit was just bad, Pastor Spencer. Well, you're wrong. It wasn't my credit. It was redlining. It was redlining. So we decided not to pursue the whole thing. Uh, but anyway, at the end of the day, uh, when we were, we were denied uh, that mortgage, that we end up uh, finding another property in which we built a house from the ground up. A mortgage, and we got a mortgage on that at this time probably was about five to six times. And it was, this was back to back to five to six times the amount of the salary that we had at the time. And I'm going to tell you, in retrospect, I'm glad that God didn't answer that prayer. Because now when I go back and I look at that place where we, were, we wanted to be in, well, I, don't, I don't even want to be there. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to be there today. So uh, we have to have God's perspective when we're asking him for things. Jesus, he never disappoints. God is faithful and he will answer you. Matthew 7, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? Well, I, and I tell you again, I know, I know uh, 
we, we know all of our situations, right? And we know some of us, how we're struggling with certain things. Some folks in our congregation, they're looking for a wife. Some are looking for a husband. Some are looking for a job. Some are looking for better jobs. Some are waiting for kids to grow up. Some are waiting for a car, right? Uh, we understand all of this. But I want you to know that God is faithful. And I want you to know that he will answer according to his will. Because Jesus says, even uh, the worst person that you can think of know how to give good gifts to their own kids. So if evil people know how to give good things to their kids, what will the righteous judge, uh, the righteous and divine and holy person of all give to you? God loves you. I want you to know that God, he loves you. But we must not faint. Face it, even the average parent, they do what they can in order to see their children happy. Some parents take it so far that they give gifts and toys to their kids, even when they've been acting like little monsters. Now little Bobby, little Charlie, I don't think we have any little kids in here with those names. Now little Bobby, little Charlie, you've been bad all year, but I'm going to go ahead and give you this Xbox anyway. Only if you promise to be, be good. Well, if they ain't been good in all this time, <laughs> they, they ain't going to be good when you give them that Xbox. Amen? This, of course, is after they've just finished throwing a temper tantrum. Haven't you seen that in the store? Our kids, uh, they, uh, they never threw uh, temper tantrums in the store. Uh, our, our son, Terrence, one of the things that he used to love to do when we went grocery shopping uh, because, you know, in, in the grocery store, they used to keep uh, the store we used to, uh, to, to shop at, the floors used to be really, really shiny. So he would get uh, in, into the grocery store, and you know what he would do? He would run, and he would dive, and he would slide on that floor. <laughs> I just look at that boy, and he just, you know, I said, boy, you, I would say to myself, Are you wow, you know. Because I'm thinking about germs and all this other stuff, but he didn't care. Sometimes I think he still don't care. But anyway, but God is good. God's goodness and grace far exceeds anything any of us can imagine. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So the question is, will God give us good things? And the answer is yes. But I tell you, you must also be in right relationship with him. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law or God's word, even his prayer is an abomination. Do you hear what the wise man is saying here? He's saying that if you turn your ear away from God's word, he says that when you pray, that your prayer is an abomination to him. Huh. I need to say that again. If you don't want to hear anything else, that anything that God has to say in his word to you, he says, your prayer then is an abomination. So what is this message about? It's about having confidence in God. Our prayer life has suffered because of what we have deemed to be unanswered prayers. 
But this should not be. The Lord is trying to accomplish many things in our lives, and we must trust his process. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Scripture tells us that we must not lose heart and not faint at the road before us. For some of you, the journey has been long. I know it has. For some of you, the road has been difficult. But for some of you, your faith has not been tested. Your faith has not been tested. Why? Because your God has been your parents. Listen to what I'm saying. Your God is really your parent. Because when you have a need, when you have a need to be met, you're not concerned about anything because you know your parents are going to take care of it. So your God is really your parent. And you are not going to be placed into the crucible until finally you get out on your own and you understand for yourself that God will meet your, meet your need. When God humbles you, when you are crying and you have nowhere else to turn, at that time you will either put up or shut up. In those moments you will find out if your faith is true. But for the battle-hardened believer who has seen God's hand over and over again, how I have seen God work in my life, a dead man, a God who raised me from the dead, looking at a nurse right before me crying because she knew, this is a professional, she knew that I was about to die. But yet God, I'm not talking about anyone else, I'm talking about me. This person you see standing right here today. God raised me from the dead. Therefore, Hebrews 10.35, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised so I encourage you today not to throw away your confidence in Jesus but to trust him in your moments of doubt trust him when it seems that there is no way out trust him when he gives you more wisdom than better health or trust him when things fall apart all around you, but your faith doesn't. Even trust him when the answer doesn't feel like it's right around the corner. While Jesus does and will answer prayer, he wants you to want him more than you want the answer to that prayer. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful. When he says, ask and you shall receive, he means it. So I want you to pray like crazy. I want you to pray passionately because God wants you to expect him to do more than we can imagine. Imagine that. A God who says that when we ask, that I want to do more than that. God wants to do more than that. God wants to, uh, you just to glorify in his name and honor him more than what has already happened in your life. 
Are you willing to have that confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ? You may not have all your ducks lined up in a row, but you have to know that Jesus wants the absolute best for your life. Trust him today. Will you ask him? Will you ask him? Will you seek after him? Will you knock on his door? What is going to be your response to God? Ask. Seek. Knock. Let's pray.